Well, good morning, everyone. My name is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my unassuming studio here tucked away somewhere beneath the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Friday, October the 20th, 2023, and I am so excited about our guest for today. He's certainly no stranger to most of our audience, uh, but he's a first-time guest and a man that I've gotten to know a little bit since the Prophecy Watchers Conference, though I followed his ministry for quite some time. Pete Garcia is with us today, and I'll introduce him here in just a moment. Uh, we're going to be talking about end times convergence, and uh, he made a presentation in at the Prophecy Watchers Conference a couple weekends ago that just really blew me away, the way he had organized his thoughts and kind of demonstrated over a, a decade after decade how the stage is being set for the end times events, for the rise of the one world system, the rise of the Antichrist. And uh, when you really step back and look at that panoramic view, it really comports uh, perfectly well with uh, the plan that God lays out in Scripture. So really excited to get to pick Pete uh, Garcia's mind and brain and uh, introduce him to our folks. We'll bring him on here in just a moment. A couple of quick announcements. Of course, it's Friday. We've had a packed uh, week. I uh, hope you've had the chance to check out uh, all of the different podcasts that we posted this week. Um, Sunday and Monday, I posted my two messages from uh, the Texas conference this past weekend. Uh, those are in audio. We're going to be posting the video here uh, in the next week or so of those. We posted the video early for our premier members. Uh, they've been watching it, but we're going to make it available to everybody here shortly. But the podcast, the audio version is already up, and we posted those Sunday and Monday. Uh, Tuesday, uh, we had uh, we were on Standard for the Truth uh, with Mary Danielson. We talked about how the West fails Israel, Israel fails Israel, and how the story ends. And then I was with David Fiorazzo on Worldview Matters. We talked about Luciferians weaponizing technology. Those were both on Tuesday. Wednesday, we had uh, everybody's favorite podcast each week, our World Events Update with Randy, and he did not fail uh, to deliver again this week. Great podcast, really enjoyed that. And then yesterday, uh, I think is one of the most informational and important podcasts we've done in months, and that was with Lucas Doremus on Are You Being Tracked? And he uh, just had an excellent uh, discussion of what, how we're tracked on our computers, a key terminology. He's a great teacher and a great uh, explainer, and I hope you'll take the chance to listen to that. He gave some great tips on how to just recognize that how everything you do uh, is being tracked and how you can kind of pre prevent some of that. Uh, so check out all of those podcasts. As I mentioned, next week we've got Tom Hughes, Randy Price, Bill Salas. Really looking forward to a fantastic, uh, another fantastic week next week. I'll be in the pulpit at Plum Creek Chapel Sunday. We're going to be talking about exclusive living in an inclusive world. That's from Nehemiah 13. Uh, we haven't live streamed the last two weeks because I was on the road, but the live stream will kick back up again this week. We live stream the 10 o'clock service. So if you're not in the Denver metro area and you'd like to join us by live stream, you can go to notbyworks.org and click on the live stream button. For those of you in the Denver metro area, come out and see us this uh, Sunday. Really looking forward to being back there with our friends at Plum Creek uh, Chapel. Now, I want us to, before I bring uh, Pete on, I want to go to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, this is uh, obviously Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, uh, and something I'm very uh, familiar with, done a lot of writing uh, and publishing about this. In fact, if you go to our website and click on the store button in the free section of our online store, I've got some some of my materials on the Olivet Discourse. I encourage you to check that out, totally free. Uh, and while you're there, you can pick up some of the other free stuff that we have available. But just to set the stage for what Pete's going to be talking about, uh, I want to put yourself back in your mind's eye to the first century. The year is 33 AD. The Lord Jesus has been ministering for three and a half years, and uh, he has uh, come into Jerusalem for what would be his final visit to Jerusalem, that fateful visit when he would eventually walk up the Via Dolorosa and uh, make his way to the cross where he would pay my penalty and your penalty and the penalty for the sins of the whole world uh, when he died and rose again. But during that week, it was kind of a uh, just a power-packed week. You know, he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. That happened on Monday, March 30th, 33 AD. We celebrated on Sunday. Uh, he overturns the tables of the money changers. He curses the fig tree. He has those wonderful uh, words to say to the Jewish leaders of the first century, calling them whitewashed tombs and hypocrites and vipers and, you know, all those kind, loving, gentle words that people think Jesus always said. You know, we've created a 
a kinder, gentler Jesus today than I think what the Bible teaches, because though he is loving and gracious, and certainly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is also the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, he's going to come back and tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God, as Revelation tells us. But after that scathing rebuke of the early, of the first century uh, uh, Jewish leaders during the time of Christ, uh, his disciples get a little antsy. They're concerned uh, because he had told them that the temple was going to be destroyed. They expected him to uh, usher in the kingdom right then. They thought he was going to ride in uh, on the back of the donkey, throw off the shackles of Rome, and start the kingdom. In fact, the Bible tells us that's what they were thinking. It gives us a glimpse into their minds in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, but Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, you know, this, 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 the time is not yet. So his disciples are getting a little antsy, and they ask him essentially the question, well, then when will the kingdom come? It's kind of a ecstatic utterance there in Matthew 24, verse 3. They tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? But essentially, they're asking one question, when will this kingdom uh, come that, that the prophets of old talked about and that Jesus himself talked about. You know, Jesus told them they would serve on 12 thrones with him in the kingdom. Jesus talked about who would sit where in the kingdom, what they would get in the kingdom. I talked about an inheritance in the kingdom. He certainly affirmed the literal earthly kingdom, just as promised uh, through David in the Old Testament. And the disciples wondered when that would happen. And so Jesus begins what has now been called come to be known as the Olivet Discourse, because he's on top of the Mount of Olives and he's answering this question. And he begins it this way. It's found in Matthew 24. It's found in Luke uh, 21 and also in Mark 13. Uh, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and many and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The New King James says it's literally the beginning of birth pangs, which is a clear Old Testament reference, if you do the word study, to the, the 70th week of Daniel, that time of the day of the Lord's wrath, that seven-year period. And so we're seeing... So Jesus basically says, prior to my return, things are going to get worse and worse. Globally, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation. And so that's why so many prophecy experts, uh, including uh, my friend Pete Garcia, uh, recognize that, you know, the stage is being set. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus had told, had rebuked the first century Jewish leaders for not being willing to, to see the signs of the times at his first coming. And I don't want us to make the same mistake today as we contemplate the, the second coming of Christ. We want to be awake and alert and paying attention. And uh, I just, this passage came to my mind as we see the world rapidly hurtling into a, a global conflagration. At least that's what I think is likely to happen. Of course, we don't know God's timetable. This may simmer down and we may, you know, have relative peace for a while, but it seems like every corner of the earth right now is on edge. And uh, so, uh, Pete, thanks so much for for joining us. I can't wait to to dive into your, uh, to your chart. And uh, folks, by the way, can get uh, more information about Pete Garcia from rev310.net. Rev, that's short for Revelation 310, no colon. Rev310.net is your website. And let me just read a brief bio uh, just to tell you what a distinguished and you know guest we have and what a privilege it is to get to talk to him and get some of his insights. But he's a retired military combat veteran and aviator. He's a writer, researcher, speaker, and of course, Bible prophecy teacher. And uh, he has a BA in international relations, and he's a graduate of the U.S. Army's prestigious Command and General Staff College. He was called by the Lord to start writing at the age of 33, and he wrote for Jack Kinsella's The Omega Letter for several years, and he's since branched out to create this website, rev310.net. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the work that he's done with Terry James, another Bible prophecy expert. And by the way, uh, he wrote an article just this morning, I think it was, uh, that is absolutely outstanding. Uh, it's called uh, How Much Longer? It's the question all of us are asking as we see things rapidly unfolding. But check out <clears throat> Pete's website at rev310.net. Lots of great resources there. Uh, and uh, and I really appreciated his statement of faith. I always uh, scrutinize statements of faith when, when we have people on the show because I want to make sure that I don't have to do any 
kind of damage control, but boy, he is spot on, understands God's grace, understands salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. So so thank you for that. So Pete, we're calling this uh, podcast today uh, The End Times Convergence. So why don't you start as you introduce your uh, your, your material that you're going to go over today by telling us what, what you mean by convergence. Well, convergence, uh, you know, the title of the, the presentation I did is called The Vanishing Point. And The Vanishing Point is simply a an optical illusion when you're looking down a road and you're or looking down railroad tracks that are just running straight for, you know, miles or whatever on end, you'll start to see those lines of the edges start to come together until they, you can't see them anymore. They kind of disappear into each other. And I think that uh, probably since the, I don't know, 2011, 2010, somewhere in there, that the term convergence really became popularized within the eschatological community. And we begin to, to pick up on this idea that so many things are starting to happen. So many of the different biblical signs of the times were happening um, that they're bleeding into each other, you know, and they're, they're coming together. And so uh, that's where the, the genesis of my presentation came from. But um, again, I, I, I really kind of just divided it into two points. One is Israel and the other is the convergent in and of itself of all the signs you know, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, uh, pestilence, famines, the unrest in the nation, so on and so forth. So that's kind of where that um, I'm kind of putting all those in one bucket, if you will. Yeah. And so uh, as you kind of categorized different elements of the world, you, you talked about uh, six uh, different categories, world crisis, what was the world crisis that happened in a particular era, followed by how that related to the emergence of a global government, how that related to the coming global economy, the role technology plays in this. And then, as you said, kind of a, a closer look at Christianity uh, and Israel. And uh, when you really start to to make notes and, and document what has been happening since the turn of the 20th century, uh, there can be no question uh, that we are living in the last of the last days. Do you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and one of the things I didn't really get to talk too much about for time's sake at the conference was the, the world before 1900. So if you go, uh, I don't know, if you go back to, I guess, the middle of the 16th century, you have the Treaty of Westphalia, which basically uh, stated that that nations are sovereign states in and of themselves, no matter how big or small. So what happens within them uh, is their own sovereign business. And ultimately, when when one nation declares war against the other, that is their final and ultimate right to do so um, as a sovereign being. So there wasn't anything overarching on top of a sovereign state that could dictate to them uh, what what they um, could or couldn't do. And I think that's a result of, you know, five or 600 years of being under the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. um, that had transpired, uh, you know, in the, the year, the centuries prior. So by the 15 or by 1648, uh, the Roman Catholic Church began their power and influence over European nations began to diminish, um, obviously, because of the Protestant Reformation the century prior. Um, and, you know, just the the world's changing. And so that's kind of how the way the world was really from about 1648 until um, I don't know, the, uh, the end of the second world war and um, what leadership today have been really wrestling with is how, you know, most of our institutions, the governments, the structures, the, the constitutions and all of these things were kind of centered around this idea that nations are sovereign. And here is this new movement that began in the 1970s that said, well, we really need a, a a global government that is overarching over the sovereign nations, since sovereign nations can't be trusted with their own freedom. You know, uh, obviously the the Germans did that under the Third Reich, and the the Japanese under their Emperor Hirohito, and uh, Italy under Mussolini. And you know, there's numerous cases that we can make examples where nation states uh, failed to protect their populace or you know, started a war or did something other that terrible that caused millions of people to die. So this um, idea of global governance um, really became solidified around World War II. Now, I backed that up a little bit, um, obviously, for the presentation. I started in the year 1900. 
So everything prior to 1900, we would consider Westphalian. Um, you have, uh, you know, 1900 is around the time of the second industrial revolution. Uh, we're beginning to mass produce things because of the assembly line and, and motorization, elect, you know, electrical grids are starting to go up in major urban areas. Um, you know, there's there's just uh, the industrial age is, is, is in full swing at this point. So things like mass producing, you know, rifles, bullets, uh, you know, other types of weaponry started to also become a big mainstay and a big market at that time. Um, you have kind of the tail end of a lot of different empires that had existed and dominated for centuries. You have the Ottoman Empire was starting to become in really bad shape by 1900. Um, the British Empire's influence was still strong, but it was starting to wane. You could see they were kind of at their end run. Same with the French, the Belgians, um, and a, you know, a bunch of different European countries. And then um, they're at the end of things, at the end of ages, there is a great deal of turmoil that begins to happen. And we see this uh, begin to foment in the years leading up to World War I. But it's not just uh, the nation states. I mean, look at Christianity prior to 1900. Fundamentalism was kind of the, the, the mainstay within Orthodox Christianity. Um, I'm trying to think what else there was. You had, uh, obviously, within Christendom, you know, there was offshoots that began to happen the century prior. You had the Latter-day Saints came about, Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Science, and all the different, you know, offshoots that went off into really heretical and apostate positions. But um, there was also a rise in the cult. Um, one of the things I didn't mention, but toward the end of the, the 19th century, you have um, interest in the occult and the paranormal and the supernatural that begin to manifest in secret societies. You know, you could go probably back to the Freemasons in the 1870s, Albert Pike. Um, you could go to Aleister Crowley and all the um, uh, Helena Blavatsky and all these different groups with theosophy and all that. Then those will all play into the 20th century. But you can see that the year 1900 is a, a time of great turmoil and something energy is building. You know, there's yeah. something building at that point, and nobody really knows where that's going to, you know, lead to. But um, there is a, you know, a, a divergence too from the governments and from academia, from Christianity. Most of the universities we had founded in the United States were were founded by Christians. You know, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. And so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me just interject here because another thing that I talk a lot about in my my three volume set, Spirit of the Antichrist and Spirit of the False Prophet. Uh, is around the turn of the 20th century as it relates to America. And it was the globalists in America that intentionally, and we have this well-documented, set out to destroy America by the turn of the, you know, starting this plan at the turn of the 20th century. So, uh, you know, the 1900s really is a pivotal, pivotal turning point in Satan's plan using his earthly co-conspirators to try to take over the world. But America was standing in the way. And, you know, it had had uh, since its foundation in 1776, it had had a, a phenomenal run of you know Bible-believing, patriotic Christian men and women of faith that were influencing the world, sending out missionaries, kind of restraining the uh, original plan of the New Worlders, which was you know the Freemasons sent them over to make create a beachhead for the New World Order. But they vastly underestimated God's power through you know the believers and 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 the Bible and and the Holy Spirit's moving in in America. But by the turn of the 20th century, Satan's earthly accomplices said, enough's enough. We've got to set in motion a systematic plan that will take, basically destroy American sovereignty and destroy this country. And so if you overlay that with everything you just talked about, the rumblings of war, the dying out of certain empires, the you know establishment of the, the League of Nations, uh, Christianity, the the rise of higher criticism with Westcott and Hort, and the and the movement uh, toward uh, abandoning the Bible, um, and then of course uh, you've got as it relates to Israel, still not a nation, still just an ancient biblical site uh, from the world's perspective. Yet you've got the Balfour Declaration. So uh, continue. I just wanted to kind of overlay American history with this view of the world that you're talking about. 
Yeah, I, I would absolutely, uh, I didn't include it in there, but the um, the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, certainly it was their beachhead for, for making all that happen, you know, in terms of globalism. But so I started that year, I started the beginning of the 20th century. I should even show the world population for those that, that aren't looking at the, di the uh, diagram itself, but the world population at the time was two, around 2 billion people. Um, the next kind of era that we go to, and this isn't a loose, you know, necessarily decade by decade, sometimes it's about 15 years or something, but it's these windows of time that kind of by, uh, that mark the last century. The next major uh, global crisis was obviously World War II. Um, you know, World War II didn't happen in a vacuum. There was obviously the German, um, the, the, the economic problems that came out of the Versailles Treaty and and uh, the pressures that uh, collapsed the German economy, which allowed for a guy like Adolf Hitler to rise up in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the next, you know, out of World War II came global government. We got the United Nations. Now, we had tried global government prior to this, you know, out of the uh, the Paris Treaty uh, in 1919, I think it was when it first began. Um, but the it wasn't strong enough. The language wasn't strong enough to unify everybody. There was too much neutrality one of the chief uh, proponents of it, a guy named Woodrow Wilson, ends up uh, uh, dying in office. So without him kind of pushing it and cheerleading for it, um, he kind of just died on the vine and, and became uh, ineffective by the time the Third Reich began to rise in Germany. Um, but out of World War II, uh, you, have, you see this very dynamic attempt at global government through the United Nations. Language is much stronger. There's much more things tying everything together. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, you know, before the end of World War II, we had the Bretton Woods Agreement, which speaks to the global economy. And this would be significant in the sense that the United States was kind of the last man standing out of World War II that really wasn't impacted that much by the war. Now, we lost a lot of soldiers, but in terms of, uh, you know, the, the home base, the nation itself, and, you know, aside from Pearl Harbor, um, the U.S. didn't suffer, you know, attacks on their, um, you know, manufacturing capabilities or the banking systems or the cities or anything like that. Not like Europe had. I mean, Europe was largely in rubbles at this point. Um, Russia was in rubbles. China was in rubble. Uh, Japan obviously was was um, uh, decimated. Uh, so most most of most of the world was in a in a bad way. And so we were able to set the terms and conditions. And since we had sold all these arms and stuff to to our allies in Europe to kind of help them in the war early on, you know, the British and the French and so forth, um, we they transferred a lot of that gold to us. And so we had a lot of that wealth. We had the majority of the world's worth, wealth. So we were able to set the term and say, hey, the US dollar is gonna be the world's reserve currency going forward. And that, you know, that would be the case for the next few decades. Um, as far as technology goes, the world transitioned to a new phase in technology with the dropping of the atomic bombs at uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, that technology, which, you know, this came out in a movie with Oppenheimer, um, that that changed everything going forward. I mean, that was that was raising the level of, uh, of um, potential Earth-wide or global destruction in a way that the world's never seen, you know, since the days of Noah, <laughs> since the flood. So um, that obviously was a game changer. And that led to um, down the road, you'll start to see the arms race, the space race, the, you know, uh, Cold War and so forth and those things. So there's things that are going to branch out from these new technologies that that revolutionize the world. Um, within Christianity at this time, uh, I, I call it interfaith, but um, obviously uh, you, when the United Nations comes together, um, the war's ending, everybody's in good spirits, and it's, I mean, it's a great time, V-Day and, and uh, VE Day, and, um, you know, uh, the United Nations is bringing all these nations together, and every all these nations have different religions, and so now there's a concerted effort at the highest levels to create some kind of ecumenical movement going forward, because obviously, if you allow those religious differences to take precedence, you couldn't have the United Nations. I mean, you wouldn't have India in the United Nations. You wouldn't have China or, um, you know, Russia or, you know, Muslim nations and so forth. So there, there had to be some setting aside of differences, which led to the, the, um, uh, the World Council of Churches and other things, other big major ecumenical movements going forward. Not a significant difference to the average person out on, you know, middle of America kind of thing, 
but at the highest levels, it began to what that it had sort of a chilling effect on world leaders who would no longer take a strong Christian stance or as you know be dogmatic in their faith as they would because now they're having to interact with you know Hindu leaders and Jewish leaders and yeah. um, you know Muslim leaders and so on and so forth. So. It, yeah. There is sort of a chilling effect that happens. Absolutely. And, and the World Council of Churches had a devastating effect in America because the offshoot of the National Council of Churches just began to unravel uh, conservative, you know, evangelical, uh, Bible-believing Christians. And so around that time in the 40s and 50s, you started to see this splintering of denominations where— you know, you had mainline denominations were abandoning the authority of God's word and going along with uh, the ecumenical movement. And so others that were faithful to the word of God started. That was the fundamentalist movement. And uh, but it really, you know, was a huge piece of the puzzle for the Luciferian globalists trying to destroy America, because in the early part of the 20th century, which you just went over, they they took over finance with the establishment of the Federal Reserve and the income tax. They took over medicine with, you know, taking over the med schools and putting people on the board and hiring the teachers and establishing the curriculum. They took over big pharma, big agra, uh, you know, every fast media, of course, completely controlled media for the for, to this day. And so, but the one element that really was their, their, you know, th the, you know, thorn in their side was the church, God's people, uh, the bride of Christ. And so they had to attack the church. And so they did the same thing at secular institutions. Well, they did it, as you mentioned, through Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and, and took over those schools that were all originally Christian. But by the time you get to the middle of the 20th century, you've, you've, you know, you've got a pretty much a distinction between, uh, you know, so-called secular and so-called Christian institutions. So they started attacking the Christian institutions, which had a trickle-down effect into the pulpit, because seminaries and Bible colleges were producing liberal uh, teachers that didn't believe the Bible. And, uh, and so, yeah, that whole ecumenical movement was huge in terms of try, Satan trying to marginalize the effect of God's people in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if we keep moving over to the right on this chart, I had Israel as the last nation or the last column there. And obviously, in 1947, uh, the United Nations voted on Resolution 181, which uh, partitioned the um the land over there that was under the british mandate um uh, from world war one um uh, what is now israel and jordan uh, they did a partitioning of the the jewish state and an arab state so in 1948 obviously may 14th israel declared their independence uh, president truman was the first uh, world leader to recognize them as a nation um so right around the same time we have uh the beginning of the cold war um, you know, shortly after the U.S. and the Russians kind of we met in Germany where, you know, we were marching from the um, west and they were marching from the east and, and trying to destroy the Third Reich uh, and in doing so. And because Russia or the Soviet Union at that time had taken so much losses at places like Leningrad and others, um, you know, they. Germany. Uh, they took basically they ended up creating what we would call the iron curtain iron curtain uh, later on but um certainly berlin itself was you know cut in half we had the thing like the berlin airlift for that year where uh the city of uh, berlin which was inside of the area behind what was given to the russians the soviets um the city itself was divided in half between a western half and a a russian half or a soviet half and um so we're flying in, um, you know, food and water and all this stuff for a year straight. And that kind of led to this antagonistic relationship between the East and the West. And, um, you know, that would be the beginnings of uh, the Cold War, um, the 70 year Cold War. And, you know, out of the Cold War, we get uh, the next uh, major thing was 1949. NATO was formed, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Um, basically to, to act as a check against Russian or Soviet expansionism and not just Soviet, but, you know, really communist expansionism, but Soviet Union being the primary uh, uh, propagators of that. Yeah, um, it was really kind of act directed to them. Yeah. And let me mention going back to Israel becoming a nation. You know, that's very relevant to what we see today, because uh, you've got, uh, you know, Palestinians, of course, claiming that you know, Israel came out of nowhere and all of a sudden in 1948, now they've taken this land that for a thousand years had belonged to the Palestinians. Of course, that's not at all true, but it is really the beginning 
such a key moment in world history, prophetically speaking, because we know Israel plays a key role in the end times. And if there's no Israel on the map, it's hard to see how we could be getting close to the end times. But all of a sudden, Israel becomes a nation and we're getting close. But as you hear uh, political pundits and mainstream commentators talking about the battle over there, never forget that is God's land. That is Israel's land. It belongs to Israel. It reminds me of the old joke. I'm not sure if this is... uh, actually happened or if it was just uh uh you know one of those urban legends but supposedly at, at a UN assembly meeting a representative from Israel uh began his remarks with these words he said beginning before beginning my talk i want to tell you something about moses when moses struck the rock and it brought forth water he thought what a good opportunity to have a bath so he removed his clothes put them aside on the rock, and entered the water. And when he got out and went to get get dressed, his clothes had vanished. A Palestinian had stole them. Well, at that remark, a Palestinian in the UN assembly jumped up and furiously shouted, what are you talking about? The Palestinians weren't there then. And the Israeli representative smiled and said, and now that we've made that clear, I will begin my speech. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I mean, we need to remember that it truly is God's holy land, and uh, He's going to protect it. And uh, you know, no terrorist is going to, you know, t- no terrorist plan will ultimately succeed. Although it could get a lot worse before it gets better. But, but anyway, back to your survey here, world history, excellent stuff. By the way, we're talking to Pete Garcia. Needs no introduction, I'm sure, for most of you, but uh, just a, a brilliant mind in terms of understanding the world of history, and he's kind of taking us through the convergence of how uh, we are seeing everything come together and align itself globally for the coming one world system. Okay. Uh, well, uh, again, uh, just for those uh, listening, this isn't a strict chronological timeline. I'm just kind of ca- capturing eras uh, as we go through the decades down and showing where we begin and where we end up and then where where the world of, of Revelation 13 takes place. And so um, we talked about NATO's formation in 1949. Uh, I think right around that time or maybe just a year or two prior, you had the, the creation of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, which begins to speak to global economics. So we had the Bretton Woods Agreement earlier uh, that's, that said uh, this was even before the war ended. Um, that the U.S. dollar is going to be the world reserve currency. A few years later, uh, we get the United Nations, you know, centered and headquartered in the United States, in New York City. And then you have the World Bank and IMF also created and put there to begin to service or finance the United Nation and be the the world's largest bank and, and, and you know, the bank for nations, so to speak. Um uh, moving on, we we move into an arms race. Obviously, when we drop the bombs at um, in, on Japan um, in the summer of '45, uh, other nations began to race to cre- you know to create this technology um, because uh, whoever had this technology technology obviously is the strongest superpower in the world. And so the next group, the next nation that got it was the Soviet Union. Um, and so that sparks this arms race going forward. And uh, for those that grew up in the 1950s and early 60s, they probably remember doing the the bomb drills, you know, getting under your desk in, in case of a nuclear fallout and all that. Um, and, you know, what we talked about earlier with regard to conspiracy, you look at all that footage of the the, the buildings being exploded and, and watching the, uh, the, the, the shockwave hitting the buildings and the trees and the old black and white footage on that. Um, a lot of people think that that was actually created in, in um, uh, there's a place outside in California near Hyde Asbury, um, Lookout Mountain, um, I think that's what it's called, but that it was a production because if if you had a camera there that was filming all this, obviously the <laughs> camera would be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, if it's able to just take out houses and cars and things like that and evaporate them, how, why doesn't it do that with a camera? Anyways, I'm rabbit trailing on maybe maybe another podcast. Yeah, on that. And, and let me interject here. I, I love that, by the way. Um, for folks who want to follow along as you listen, uh, you can get the chart that he's talking about from his website. Again, we're talking to Pete Garcia. His website is rev310.net. That stands for Revelation 310, but it's just rev310.net. And if you go to the conference presentations tab on his website uh, and click down to the one entitled Vanishing Point, from the Prophecy Watchers Conference uh, earlier this month, uh, and then you can find the chart uh, that 
that he's talking about. Uh, yeah, speaking of the the bombs in Japan, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, in World War II, America was the last man standing, and we really didn't have on our homeland a lot of devastation. But uh, as you alluded to, that's not to say there weren't a lot of American soldiers and other innocent Americans killed as a result of the war. And I get into this in my Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. But first of all, it is widely known now that there were American civilians in Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima that were not given forewarning and that they just considered collateral damage, what I call collateral murder. Uh, but then also you've got all the experimentation happening back on the mainland of the United States by the military uh, to kind of help come up with biological weapons. And some of that was just uncomfortable conscionable, and that's well-documented as well in my book. So, yeah, you know, uh, God protected our homeland, and certainly uh, we didn't have to face some of the atrocities that other parts of the world did during World War II, but I don't know about you, Pete. I really have the sense that if the Lord tarries is coming, that's going to change. I think this next round, we're going to probably have some some battles on our homeland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm fully... I'm fully convinced that uh, it'll probably center around the next election, either right before or, or during that time period. So and whether that takes the form of martial law, civil war, you know, something, um, I just don't I, I don't see them letting Trump back into office after all that they've been able to accomplish these last few years under the Biden administration. So, mm -hmm. um Again, another podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to bring yeah. it back on. We'll, <laughs> no, we'll we, we definitely will. Yeah. I, I <laughs> can tell we've got a lot a lot to talk about. But let's uh, let's speed up a bit just because I know I'm looking at the chart. Our listeners aren't unless they pulled it up when I mentioned it a moment ago. But um, so you, you you left off there with, the, you know, the 50s, the Red Scare. I could talk a lot about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just kind of give us some of the highlights uh, as we lead us up okay. to where we are today. All right. So uh, you have the 50s, end of colonialism. Uh, they used to say that the sun never set on the British Empire. It did. Mm -hmm. uh, not just the British, but the French and, and other uh, old European powers began to close their colonial aspirations down. And those nations rose out. So now we have, a, you know, we went from, I don't know what it was at 1900, but by now it's 193 nations. A lot of those came out of the old colonial areas uh, that these uh, European countries used to uh, control. You have the rise of the Bilderberger uh, Group, which was a collaboration between government and, and businesses that was done in secret. Uh, and it's been since the 1950s on to today. The space race and obviously all of the things, the connotations, Operation Paperclip and all those things that came along with that, bringing over the Nazi scientists to help us win that race. Um, and Christian, Christianity, and I kind of skipped over this one, but it's a neo-evangelicalism. Um, and that is the uh, the shift away from fundamentalism, um, uh, kind of more toward a modernist type of perspective where they're willing to um, do more direct outreach, more um, partnering with, say, more liberal organizations and groups and a just kind of a broadening of the tent, if you will, within Christianity that obviously lets in a lot of um unwanted things as well Yeah, more of the social um, gospel too right more of the social yeah, gospel yeah, aspect yeah um and then you have uh uh the knesset formed uh or i think i skipped over that you have the um mass marketing when i talk about mass marketing of christianity i, I mean that's kind of the era when tv becomes accessible to most americans uh i think a lot of ministries begin to jump on board with that with the radio and other mass marketing approaches to um you know, these giant crusades that happened, uh, Billy Graham and, and so forth. So um, there began a, a much broader push with uh, within Christianity to reach the masses out there. Um, obviously, we had the 56, we had the Suez Canal crisis. Um, and here's the one that I, I, I think most people don't really take note of. But in uh, point number five, I, and this is probably from this the um, late 40s through the early 70s, um, or probably the late seventies is organized crime and the, the impact that's had on America. Mm. So as criminals began to escalate their boldness and how in their techniques, techniques and tactics and, um, and the violence they're willing to bring on, um, uh, to commit crimes, be, um, you know, law enforcement always has to match that. And so what we see is this militarization happening within, uh, most law enforcement agencies and government agencies within the United States that um they that becomes one of the driving forces um to um to to militarize uh us internally you know and so 
organized crime. You have a, the Trilateral Commission coming about in the 70s. We got to the point where we had to drop the gold standard because of the uh, the debt brought on with the uh, LBJ's Great Society and the Vietnam conflict, the war there. You know, obviously, very expensive things. Um, we have in technology, you have this automation becomes much more um, widespread and, and um, popular in, in business. Um, Christendom, I, I put on here counterculture. Um, as Christianity enters into the 1960s and early 70s, obviously, there's a huge counterculture movement. And churches are beginning to have to react to that because now sons and daughters that go there are showing up with long hair, uh, bell bottoms, and the music they're listening to is changing. So that's that's having an impact on Christianity as well. And obviously, uh, um, uh, Chuck Smith's uh, the Jesus movement coming out of that, you can see um, there were some positives that obviously came out of that. I think Chuck Smith's movement was a positive, but yeah. there was a lot of other negatives that happened that that um, churches you know were impacting churches greatly. Um, you have in the 60s, obviously, the Six-Day War, which was Israel's preemptive strike on their enemies in Egypt and Jordan to prevent their, their attack, which was imminent. Um, going into the 70s and probably the, the 80s, you have terrorism um, really becomes the kind of the, the, the big crisis that's starting to happen. And one of the most prominent cases, I think, is the, um, the, the I, can't remember, I think it was Red October who hit the Jewish athletes in Munich. Mm. Uh, or Black October, one of the those names, but the one of those. I mean, that just shocked people's conscience back then. You know that that, that happened. Um, you have the formation of the European Union. Now, the European Union wasn't formally established in the '70s, but you start seeing all these treaties. Even go back to the '50s, all the way forward. Every few years, there's these treaties, and every time there's a treaty passed, it begins to solidify the European Union into what it is today. Um, we have the movement off of uh, we moved off gold standard with the US dollar, the currency. Uh, and we went to what's they, they call a free floating debt-based currency. And we also had a deal with OPEC, the United States did, since we're still the world's reserve currency. Um, we made a deal with OPEC saying, hey, we'll provide stability in the Middle East if you make all your transactions for oil, petroleum in US dollars, which meant everybody in the world had to have uh, US dollars as their reserve currency in order to buy oil. Um, and that kind of just became the status quo for the next uh, 10, 15 years. And that was Kissinger um, that was behind that, by the way. Yeah. We have the rise of the Internet. Um, the Internet began in the 1960s, obviously not to what it is today, but universities, military places were beginning to use this within their own organizations where computers could talk to each other. And then that just kind of began to morph from there uh, until where we are today. Um in the culture, you had Eastern mysticism that began to impact Christianity. Um, obviously, if you go back to the Beatles, you know, the Beatles really popularized it in the 60s when they came back from India. And uh, that was part of the counterculture movement. But now it begins to kind of creep into the churches and things begin to uh, slowly but surely begin to put their roots into uh, Christianity or to Christendom um, in the West. And then you have in 70s, uh, Yom Kippur War which we're at the 50 year anniversary of and, and a very significant event for them. Um, moving into the eighties and kind of the early nineties is the environments. So that's the new crisis in the world. Um, mm. People started talking about global cooling and then it shifted about 10 years later to global warming. And then that was kind of the mainstay through the nineties. And then in the early thousand, two thousands, you know, you start seeing this um, because the weather wasn't following along with what the, what the narrative and the propaganda was, then it just became this kind of catch-all climate change, you know. Um, but uh, the, the environment was certainly added to the crisis list of things that that are these are being compounded upon the world, right? Um, in the, obviously 2001, we began the war on terror, the the 20 year war on terror. Um, we see in the global economy the diversification of how we pay for things. Um, it used to just be cash. And then cash kind of morphed into checks and then checks, we get credit cards. And then from credit cards, eventually we get uh, debit cards. And then from debit cards, you begin to pay through all manners of things, your phone, your, you know, your eyeball, all your hand. I mean, mm. it, it, we just, it starts to spread in cryptocurrency and so forth. So it begins to really diversify uh, and challenge the world's financial systems. Uh, technology, I have put AI down. I mean, AI kind of became a thing. It moved out of the realm of uh, science fiction in, in Hollywood to reality in the late 90s um, to a real degree. You know, and there was AI before that in very rudimentary sense, but 
um, more in the late 90s where it began to become a real possibility that it could do this. And obviously through the early 2000s, we start to see AI begin to making these uh, artificial intelligence makes these huge leaps and bounds in what they're capable of doing uh, with these uh, with these robots and these systems. Um, within Christendom, you have an ecumenical movement again, a big push for that. And now the, the big difference between here and where it was, say, in the 40s, is that much of the population is no, I mean, most of the population is no longer Christian. Uh, back in the um, in the 40s, the population was much more homogenous, and you either had Protestants or Catholics was the majority of people. Now here in the 2000s, uh, you know, you have uh, Hindus, Muslims, Catholics, New Agers, Satanists. I mean, you have all any manner of people out there. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge uh, diversification, just like with the money and just how diversified the money became and how you pay for things. So did the options within how you worship or who you worship. And I would say even within Christianity, there was a huge um, splintering of different denominations into many smaller different offshoots of different kinds of Baptists, different kinds of churches of Christ, different kinds of, you know, uh, Methodists, Episcopalians, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's all, all kinds of offshoot because as the culture begins to deteriorate, you always have churches that either go along with culture and then they have a minority with, of them that break away and say, we don't want to do that. So we're going to form our own thing, um, like the evangelical Lutherans, um, or you have um, the majority of church wants to stay conservative. They want to stay fundamental, if you will. Um, and you have a minority that offshoots from that and they want to follow whatever the heretical thing is that they're trying to follow. So there's, there's a fracturing within Christianity even more. Um, and then in Israel, obviously this is, uh, you know, decades into the land for peace process that began in 77 at the Camp David Accords. Um, and so, we're coming to the end of this and we're seeing that land for peace is not only not only is it not feasible it's not realistic and all we've gotten from it is intifadas we've gotten terrorist attacks we've gotten bombings suicide bombings stabbings and all assassinations of world leaders you know every time there's a yeah. peace accord somebody ends up getting killed you know yeah so so it's it's not brought the peace and so i think most of the jewish people and the jewish citizens israelis and and even I'd say many within the Arab world that were um, forward thinking, at least, are starting to realize that it's not, it's not, it's not going to work. And so something's got to change. And then uh, we get to the last line um, or the second to the last line. And we get to where we are today, where we have the world crises. Uh, we have things like UFO and disclosure of UAPs or what they're calling them now, UAPs, un uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, but, you know, these are things we've known about since the 40s. And, and why now is the government now making an issue of of these things? And that was kind of the point. And not to say that it's a major crisis, but it's starting to happen so frequently and so often that it's becoming undeniable. Yeah, and let nations me, are trying to figure out how to deal with it. Let me interject on that. You know, I've talked a lot about UFOs through the years. We have a chapter in uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, all about UAPs, uh, UFOs, and the U.S. government. But just two days ago, uh, CNN had a report. Uh, U.S. is receiving dozens of UFO reports a month, according to a senior Pentagon official. And it's just a whole article about how this stuff is continuing uh, to ramp up. And so I, I think absolutely this is a sign of the times, as you're saying, that's kind of leading up to become the next uh, the next world crisis. Yeah. And I think it will probably manifest after the rapture <laughs> or at the rapture. Yeah. Um, going across to global government, we have this great push for the Great Reset. And, and just like there was a change out of the Westphalian order uh, after World War II, um, there are really after the 1900s, um, there is now a new change that they're looking for in a post-American world where the U.S. is the dominant superpower in the world. And you have to excuse my dogs in the background. <laughs> uh, I have eight dogs. Well, as long as there are no um, cats, that's that's only that. Then I'd have to put an end to this podcast if a cat shows up. On oh, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, the global economy, you have the uh, uh, biometric currency is beginning to move into biometrics so that uh, the technology is moving into the human body, whether it's the eye scans, the uh, palm scans, or any other manners of, of how they uh, want to pay. You don't have to carry money anymore. It's on your body or it's, in, it's connected to your body somehow. Uh, whether it's the uh, uh, RFID 
you know, microchip or the uh, or the uh, little rice chip or whatever, or the near NFC near uh, what is it called near field uh, communications or whatever type of technology. But we're able to not have to carry a wallet or identification around now. Uh, we're able to use our body parts to do this. Um, in technology, uh, quantum is now the new kind of gold standard. And, and uh, Lee Brainerd and I did a, a program not too long ago, and I think that they've figured out how to use or to run quantum systems in room temperature, in whatever the room temperature is. Um, it used to have to be kept in these crazy sub-zero temperatures, these main, uh, the computer mainframes and all that for quantum systems. But now they're able to use just a room temperature, uh, you know, like 70 degrees or whatever, to run these mainframes and keep it cool still. So that's a huge development because that was a big cost that companies had to cough up in order to um, try and uh, develop this technology it was, a, it was a big hindrance for them. But I think that's the new AI and quantum will become the new arms races, or they already are the new arms races going forward. Um, Christianity, we're in the postmodern era. Obviously, nobody knows what truth is anymore. Everything's questionable. There's a huge drop off in uh, um, Christian churches are closing faster than they're starting. And that only was exponentially um, made more significant after COVID or during and after COVID uh, than it was prior to. And then with Israel, we have the Abraham Accords. So this was a more realistic based approach, not to peace necessarily, but to normalization between Israel and, and her Arab neighbors. And I think that what we've seen here uh, in October 7th, obviously may, may have played a part in that to disrupt the Abraham Accords, um, because I think you had four or five nations already signing on board to, to do this with Israel. And I, I think the, the Iranians were not really keen on that. Uh, more to follow, obviously. But obviously, I lead down to all this. So the world of Revelation 13, we go through all that. We walk the dog on all of those different eras and where things kind of lead to. Um, but the next major world crisis is going to be the rapture of the church. It's going to happen, and it's going to shock the world in a way that they haven't seen in, in I don't even know, in, re in modern history. Um, but out of that, the global government, I believe, will form into 10 uh, or some kind of regional governments um, just like the United States, Canada, and Mexico would form kind of one government. Um, but there would be these 10 regions. This aligns with what the Club of Rome came up with back in the 70s, or the, I mean, the, I think the, the 80s. No, 70s. And, um, no, it was 70, 73. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I just talked about that and showed the chart to Sunday at my conference there in Texas. But yeah, that came right out of uh, uh, Club of Rome. Mm -hmm. But even the military, we had uh, we broke the world up into seven regions. Um, Army North, Army South, AFRICOM, UCOM, PACOM, CENTCOM, uh, you know, so there's all these different comms, you know, commands. Yeah, and I think they're uh, all at, I think they're all at DEFCON 2 right now, which is the first time in history that all of them have been, if I'm, if I'm right about that, I, I, I haven't verified. Yeah, that sounds I, right. Yeah. That, that, that mm -hmm. sounds right. Um, you have uh, the global economy, obviously, if the rapture happens, it will collapse the United States. Um, we're already 33 trillion in debt, so I don't think it would take much for that to happen. But if you removed even 10% of the world or the U.S. population, that's 30 some million people that uh, are no longer paying their mortgage, they're no longer showing up to work, they're no longer paying their bills, shopping, spending money, etc. They're just gone. Um, that's going to have a huge impact on the United States. Uh, and as the U.S. collapses, that I think it'll drag the world economy down. And so this is going to kind of force the issue with creating a a something to fix that. And I think uh, we're, we'll get to that in a second, but we're moving into the embedded technology, biotechnology will become even more perfected than it is today. Uh, where it will, it, no longer will it be a, um, a triple T, I don't know how you say that word, um, a kind of a, um, a, a novelty, uh, mm. it will become the standard, you know, mm. where things mm. are embedded into your skin as the standard of how you pay for things. Mm. Just like a credit card used to be a novelty, only the really rich had it, you know, uh, now everybody's got it. Mm. Um, and then it, within Christianity, obviously, if you pull or Christendom, if you pull all the true believers out, what you're going to be left with is an apostate system um, that's left here on the earth. All of those people who thought they were Christians or, you know, denominations that thought they were and they're, they're still sitting here like, uh, why, you know, where did everybody go? Uh, <laughs> that's what's going to be left. But out of that will come a huge soul harvest, I think, out of the beginning of the tribulation. And then the last one, Israel will have this covenant with death. 
Isaiah 28, Daniel 9, 27. I think it's whatever that covenant is. We don't know if it's based off of an old covenant like the Oslo Accords or the Abraham Accords or whatever. It'll be some type of new a covenant, new or old, that is uh, put in place that puts Israel at a state of uh, ease. And all of that kind of culminates, uh, I think, with the mark of the beast that we see by the midpoint of, of the um, Revelation 13. Um, and this is where somewhere in the first three and a half years, this technology comes about because of all of these requirements and all of these issues. Um, I think that uh, the mark of the beast is the culmination of that. And that is used as a, a point of a loyalty and of worship of this new system and of this man who represents the system. So that wow. that is it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that mark of the beast, of course is going to be the capstone of the, the full-spectrum control grid. You know, at the midpoint when the Antichrist demands that the whole world worship him and he breaks his covenant, uh, he's going to have some means, going to have to have some means to control that and to enforce that. And so uh, the mark of the beast there is that control mechanism. Uh, and uh, boy, what a day that will be. Well, Pete, this is, this is just fascinating. Again, this is Pete Garcia. Most of you know him. Uh, outstanding work, tons of great resources at his website, rev310.net. The material he just went over was taken from a portion of his presentation called Vanishing Point, and that was at Prophecy Watchers Conference uh, week, the weekend of October 5th through the 8th. And um, when I heard that and sat through that, I just thought I'd really, I really appreciate the way uh, you put this together. And it just, I love history. I, I, I love understanding the real history. I've been, just can't get enough of it ever since I woke up to the reality of the world and recognized that nothing, virtually nothing that I'd been taught in, in all of my schooling uh, and I have, you know, two postgraduate degrees. None of it was really accurate when it comes to world history. There's always something more at play. And the data is out there. The info is out there to kind of kind of see it. But you picked some key uh, events in very key segments of world history and kind of pieced them together and showed how they're all from a prophetic standpoint, uh, really marching us toward uh, the end time. So thank you very much for that. Um, I encourage you guys to check out Rev310. Uh, net. And yeah, we'd love to have you back on sometime if you're uh, if you're willing. I know you're a busy guy these days, uh, uh, but uh, let's connect offline and, and pick a date and we can uh, talk some more about, you know, zoom in on some of these particular stuff. I'd love to talk about your uh, uh, presentation on uh, <clears throat> conspiracies. You know, that's a dirty word around uh, some parts of the Bible prophecy world. But I always love telling people, look, I'm a I'm a I'm a conspiracy theorist. I believe in conspiracy theories, but only the ones that are true. Uh, there are some false conspiracy theories out there. We we shouldn't believe in those, but there are plenty of ones that are true. And I thought that I didn't get to sit in that when I was on my way to it to hear your presentation on that because it's right up my alley. But I got detained by uh, someone who ended up uh, talking to me for the entire session. And uh, so anyway, uh, I would love to have you back on to talk about that. But thanks so much, Pete. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, folks, thanks again for uh, for listening. Again, you can go to notbyworks.org and find uh, all kinds of free resources there. Uh, we've got uh, our new book, of course, Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy. You can learn more about that at uh, our own website for that is called spiritofthefalseprophet.org, spiritofthefalseprophet.org. Uh, while you're at the store, check out our premier membership option. That's a, a, a select group of folks that uh, you pay a subscription fee and you get some additional information. And we do periodic live Zoom Q&A sessions. Our next one of those is scheduled for next Tuesday, October 24th. If you're one of our premier members, <clears throat> you should have gotten a notice about that already or you will be soon. Uh, but if you're interested, check that out, folks. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And just a reminder, folks, as always, these are troubling times. And if you do not know the Lord, now more than ever, you need to examine your own spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus. Has there been a time in your life when you've trusted Him and Him alone for salvation? That's the only hope for entering heaven. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I know that we love listening to folks like Pete Garcia and other experts and a lot of people who may not otherwise have an interest in spiritual things are, are interested in getting commentary on what's happening in this crazy mixed up world. But I want to, to encourage you to stop and evaluate your own heart. Has there been a time in your life 
when you recall putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins. If you don't remember such a time, then you need to do that today. The faith is simple. It's so simple a child can understand it. Who are you trusting to get you into heaven? Are you trusting in your good works, your religious heritage, your parents, your church, your baptism? Uh, none of that will get you there. Only one person has the right and the authority and the power to give eternal life, and that's Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin. So trust Him today. And for those of you who already know the Lord, keep trusting Him every day, day by day, walking by faith, not by sight. Not because you have to keep on trusting Him to get to heaven. Once you receive Jesus Christ, it's a an immediate free gift. You get it the moment you trust Him. You get eternal life when you believe the gospel, not when you die. But faith is the way we live our lives. It's the way we understand and navigate this, this crazy world. And we know that our home is in heaven. Uh, and so we need to set our minds on things in heaven. Well, God bless you, everyone. Have a fantastic weekend. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.